Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Hello, dear family. Hello, beloved. How are you? It's raining and raining in Beloit, but that's how Beloit is so beautiful. We're, we're grateful for it. It's hardly rained or anything since we're here. So we're, we're grateful. We're happy. This is Tuesday of Passion Week, and um, I know many of you are not even familiar with Passion Tide. You are with Holy Week, but Passion Week, Passion Tide begins... The, the week before Holy Week, the week before Palm Sunday. And yesterday, we read the history of Passion Tide. And today, I'd like to read from uh, Dom Prosper Garanger, his liturgical year. He was the abbot of Salem. He wrote in the 1800s. And um, uh, to read him is, is just a bit of heaven come to earth. And, and to see how much we've lost uh, in these in this past century of the faith, um, <clears throat> so now we didn't complete the chapter on the history of Passion of Passion Week, but I'm going to go to the next one: the mystery of Passion Tide and Holy Week. It's so wonderful. We are so undertaught. So many, even the sisters with me, I've I've been reading this to them, and they've never even known it before. So I'll begin. We'll just get as far as we can today, and then at the second break, as always, we'll take your calls, your emails, and your texts at that time. Dom Garanger begins, <clears throat> The Holy Liturgy is rich in mystery during these days of the churches celebrating the anniversaries of so many wonderful events, but as the principal part of these mysteries is embodied in the rites and ceremonies of respective days, we shall give our explanations as the occasion itself. Our object in the present chapter is to say a few words respecting the general character of the mysteries of these two weeks. And again, Passion Tide began this Sunday when um, most traditional Catholics will have covered all their religious items with purple cloth. Um, we had a neighbor give us enough purple cloth to just um, cover a huge crucifix here in in our uh, priory in, in Beloit, our temporary quarters. We didn't realize we'd be here this long without returning to Tulsa. So all our purple cloth is in Tulsa. And this begins. <clears throat> we have nothing to add to the explanation already given in our Lent on the mystery of 40. The holy season of expiation continues its course until the fast of sinful man has imitated in its duration that observed by the man-god in the desert. And we know that our Lord spent 40 days in the desert in reparation for Israel's 40 years wandering in the desert because of disobedience. 
the army of Christ's faithful children is still fighting against the invisible enemies of man's salvation. They are still vested in their spiritual armor and aided by the angels of light. They are struggling hand to hand with the spirits of darkness by compunction of heart and by mortification of the flesh. As we have already observed, there are three objects which principally engage the thoughts of the church during Lent. The passion of our Redeemer, which we have felt to be coming nearer to us each week. The preparation of the catechumens for baptism, which is to be administered to them on Easter Eve. The reconciliation of the public penitents who are to be readmitted into the church on the Thursday, the day of the Last Supper. Each of these three objects engages more and more the attention of the church the nearer she approaches the time of their celebration. So did you hear that, beloved? If you have been away from the church and you want to repent and come home, the Savior who died for you, the Savior who said to the thief, um, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise, is waiting for you in the confessional. And when the priest says, I absolve you, it is not the priest who says that. It is our Lord Jesus, the only one who can forgive sins, who says that to you through the priest, because that's how he set up uh, our reconciliation. And that should be done Monday, Thursday, Thursday night of Holy Week. So I pray there'll be a line um, 10 miles long. Everybody who's been away from the church, come home. Don't wait till you're ready. You'll never be ready. Um, just come home and repent and come back to God. The miracle performed by our Savior almost at the very gates of Jerusalem by which he restored Lazarus to life has roused the fury of his enemies to the highest pitch of frenzy. The people's enthusiasm has been excited by seeing him who had been four days in the grave walking in the streets of their city. They asked each other if the Messiah, when he comes, can work greater wonders than these done by Jesus, and whether they ought not at once to receive this Jesus as the Messiah and sing their Hosanna to him, for he is the son of David. They cannot contain their feelings. Jesus enters Jerusalem, and they welcome him as their king. The high priests and princes of the people are alarmed at this demonstration of feeling. They have no time to lose. They are resolved to destroy Jesus. We are going to assist at their impious conspiracy. The blood of the just man is to be sold, and the price put on it is 30 silver pieces. The divine victim, betrayed by one of his disciples, is to be judged, condemned, and crucified. Every circumstance of this awful tragedy is to be put before us by the liturgy, not merely in words, but with all the expressiveness of a sublime ceremonial. The catechumens have but a few more days to wait for the font that is to give them life. Each day, their instruction becomes fuller, 
the figures of the old law being explained to them, and very little now remains for them to learn with regard to the mysteries of salvation. The symbol of faith is soon to be delivered to them, initiated into the glories and humiliations of the Redeemer. They will await with the faithful the moment of his glorious resurrection, and we shall accompany them with our prayers and hymns at that solemn hour when leaving the defilements of sin in the life-giving waters of the font, they shall come forth pure and radiant with innocence, be enriched with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and be fed with the divine flesh of the Lamb that liveth forever. (laughs) Dear ones, I can't help remembering that year and a half that those Jews for Jesus, evangelical Protestants, tried to give me the gospel message uh, while I was yet in my Jewish understanding. And they one night spent um, two and a half hours explaining to me how every Old Testament pointed to the Lamb of God, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb who took upon himself the sin of the whole world and died in our stead for our sin and did what no Old Testament dead animal could do. And I remember, it it just, it changed my life that night, but I didn't do anything because um, he was dead and I was grateful for what he did for me. But, and for everyone, But a couple of weeks later, I was with them, and they were talking about his being alive. And I said, "Um, excuse me, you you told me he died. What do you mean he's alive? And they said, well, he came out of the grave. He's resurrected. And I remember the shock of my life saying, why? Why didn't anybody say so? Everybody dies. Nobody comes out of the grave. Why didn't anybody say so? And I, 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 everything transformed me and I gave my life to him. But remember, dear ones, when you tell people that Christ died for our sins, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, don't forget to tell them he came out of the grave. People don't know that. They don't know that. We think they do, but they don't. I'll continue with Dom Carranger. The reconciliation of the penitents, too, is close at hand. Clothed in sackcloth and ashes, they are continuing their work of expiation. The church has still several passages from the sacred scriptures to read to them, which, like those we have already heard during the last few weeks, will breathe consolation and refreshment to their souls. Oh, dear beloved... It always comes too soon. The music for our first break. Um, you're welcome to call in with anything on your heart. Toll free, one 511 5483 or email at We'll be right back. Beloved, don't go away.
We offer several ways to view our programming grid, including at our website, thestationofthecross.com, and on our iCatholic Radio app. Just click the menu icon in the top left portion of our app and select the link to our programming grid. That's at thestationofthecross.com and on our free iCatholic Radio app for Android and Apple mobile devices. be to Jesus. Hi, this is Joe McClain, host of the Catholic Drive Time Morning Show, joining you on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network each weekday morning at 7 a.m. We'll keep you informed and inspired with insightful guests and breaking news stories of the day. That's the Catholic Drive Time, weekday morning, 7 a.m. on the Station of the Cross and the iCatholic Radio app. We'll see you then. May God love you. LifeSite News is an international news agency devoted to defending life and family and restoring Christian culture. We aim to educate and activate our readers with the information they need to fight the most crucial battles of our day in their churches, workplaces, and families. Our motto is Caritas in Veritate, love in truth. We firmly believe that promoting the truth is an act of love, however hard it is to hear. Over the last 20 years, we have built a reputation for uncompromising reporting, no matter the cost. LifeSite News is by far the most popular pro-life website on the internet, with over 40 million unique users every year and growing. Check us out at LifeSiteNews.com. to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. But to Mother Miriam Live, I'm so happy to be with you, and we are reading through uh, Dom Prosper Garanger's um, 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 liturgical year on, um, what am I hesitating for, because I'm looking, what did I do with it? Here it is. Uh, the liturgical year, and we are now on the mystery of... Um, the mystery of Passion Tide, which began this past Sunday, and it will continue through Holy Week, which begins this coming Sunday. And I'll just reread the last sentence that we left off at. The catechumens <clears throat> have but a few more days to wait for the font that is to give them life. Each day, their instruction becomes fuller, the figures of the old law being explained to them. And very little now remains for them to learn with regard to the mysteries of salvation. As I'm reading this, I'm praying at the same time that this is what is actually happening in our church. That the catechumens are truly being taught and they're being taught truth. I'll continue here. The symbol of faith is soon to be delivered to them, initiated into the glories and the humiliations of the Redeemer. They will await with the faithful the moment of his glorious resurrection, and we shall accompany them with our prayers and hymns at that solemn hour 
when leaving the defilements of sin in the life-giving waters of the font, they shall come forth pure and radiant with innocence, be enriched with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and be fed with the divine flesh of the Lamb that liveth forever. The reconciliation of the penitents, too, is close at hand, clothed in sackcloth and ashes. They are continuing their work of expiation. The church has still several passages from the sacred scriptures to read to them, which, like those we have already heard during the last few weeks, will breathe consolation and refreshment to their souls. The near approach of the day when the Lamb is to be slain increases their hope, For they know that the blood of this lamb is of infinite worth and can take away the sins of the whole world. Before the day of Jesus' resurrection, they will have recovered their lost innocence. Their pardon will come in time to enable them, like the penitent prodigal, to join in the great banquet of that Thursday when Jesus will say to his guests, With desire, I have desired to eat this pasch with you before I suffer. Such are the sublime subjects which are about to be brought before us. But at the same time, we shall see our Holy Mother, the Church, mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, mourning like a disconsolate widow and sad beyond all human grief, Hitherto, she has been weeping over the sins of her children. Now she bewails the death of her divine spouse. The joyous Alleluia has long since been hushed in her canticles. You see, as of Sunday, we have not said Hallelujah, not once, not in the traditional um, office. We have not said Alleluia. We've said praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Laus tibi domine, rex eterne gloriae, king of eternal glory. The joyous Alleluia has long since been hushed in her canticles. She is now going to suppress another expression, which seems too glad for a time like the present. Partially at first, unless it be the feast of a saint, as frequently happens during the first of these two weeks, The same exception is made in what follows. But entirely, it's partially at first, but entirely during the last three days, she is about to deny herself, the church is about to deny herself the use of that formula which is so dear to her. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost. There is an accent of jubilation in these words which would ill-suit her grief and the mournfulness of the rest of her chance. Her lessons for the night office are taken from Jeremiah, the prophet of lamentation above all others. The color of her vestments is the one she had on when she assembled us at the commencement of Lent to sprinkle us with ashes. But when the dreaded day of Good Friday comes, purple would not sufficiently express the depth of her grief. She will clothe herself in black, as men do when mourning the death of a fellow mortal. For Jesus, her spouse, is to be put to death on that day. The sins of mankind, 
and the rigors of the divine justice are then to weigh him down, and in all the realities of a last agony, he is to yield up his soul to the Father. The presentiment of that awful hour leads the afflicted mother to veil the image of her Jesus. The cross is hidden from the eyes of the faithful. The statues of the saints, too, are covered, for it is but just that if the glory of the master be eclipsed, the servant should not appear. The interpreters of the liturgy tell us that this ceremony of veiling the crucifix during Passiontide expresses the humiliation to which our Savior subjected himself of hiding himself when the Jews threatened to stone him, as is related in the Gospel of Passion Sunday. The Church begins this solemn rite with the Vespers of the Saturday before the Passion Sunday. Thus it is that in those years when the Feast of Our Lady's Annunciation falls in Passion Week, the statue of Mary, the Mother of God, remains veiled, even on that very day when the Archangel greets her as being full of grace and blessed among women. Oh, dear Lord, dear, dear brothers and sisters, if so many people don't even know it, I don't know anyone in the, in the new order of the Mass, the Novus Ordo, that has any idea about this. In Holy Week, everything is covered but it should already be covered in Passion Week. And we have on the 25th the Holy Day of Obligation, um, the Annunciation of our Lord, of the angel Gabriel to Mary, that she would bear the very Son of God. And even on that day, she remains being covered in purple. It's just two days from now. Today is Tuesday, March 23rd. It's the 25th and Beloved, it is a holy day of obligation. And what we're celebrating now is the son of the mother. Um, 30 years later, 33 years later now, who grew up among us, the son of David, the son of God, and died for the sin, our sin, not his, that separated us from God. The lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Dear ones, it's required by the church that we go to confession at least at Easter. At least at Easter if we haven't gone any other time during the year. But this is the time to come home. If you've been away from the church, dear ones, this is the time to come home. And it doesn't matter what you have committed. It doesn't matter what sins. It matters in that every sin that you and I have committed are what put our Lord on the cross and what put him to death. But he died for every sin. There's no sin so heinous that he didn't know it and that he didn't die for it. If you don't come home, dear ones, it's not because there's not a Savior with open arms waiting to receive you in the confessional through that priest. He waits to receive you like he waited with open arms, the father, to receive the prodigal son. He's looking over the hill for you as the father of the prodigal son waited day and night and looked over the hill for his son to return. If you don't return, 
It's not because he won't forgive you. It doesn't matter what you've done. Not for forgiveness. There's no sin that's outside his death. There's no sin that is greater than his mercy. None. There is no sin for which he did not die. He's God. He existed before the world began. He created all things. And he died before you began. And he knew everything you would commit. And he died for it all. If you don't come back, it's not because you're afraid. It's not because that you won't be forgiven. It's because you're either um, ashamed to confess those sins or you're prideful, you don't want to. But dear one, God already knows them. And you may say, yes, but I don't want to say them to a priest who knows me. Well then, don't worry about that. Don't deal with getting over your pride for that. Come back home and drive to a church where nobody knows you and come back into the church. Don't let that stand in the way. Don't let your being afraid that somebody who knows you is going to hear all that. We should not be concerned with that, but we are. We're human, and we are. Our pride gets in the way, and so don't let it stop you from coming back to God. Go to another church, Catholic church. I don't care if you have to drive three hours. Go to a Catholic church where the priest doesn't know you and confess your sin. He doesn't have to know your name. He doesn't have to know who you are. Go behind the the little um, screen and just confess your sins, every one of them, and say it's been 150 years since I was at Mass or returned to the church or 20 years since my last confession or whatever it was. You don't have to give your name. Just confess your sins and say, I'm asking God for forgiveness. I want to come home. Let, let God love you. Let him forgive you. This Easter, come home to the God who loved you and gave his life for you. There's no reason for anyone to stay outside. There's no reason for anyone to be outside the church, out in the cold, out where the demons rule. If you're outside the church, dear ones, you are under the power of the prince of the air, who is Satan himself. And he will make sure that pride and circumstance and whatever else it is will never, ever allow you back in. Just say, get thee behind me, Satan, as Jesus did. And you and I did once. I went into a town, and I wanted to find a Catholic church. I was on a mission. I didn't know this town. And I went straight to the fire department, and I said, would you tell me where the Catholic church is? And I went. Actually, I wasn't Catholic yet, but I was on my way to the Catholic Church. And someone told me that whenever I go into a Catholic Church, I should look for the little red light because that's where the box is, the tabernacle, and that's where God is. And I didn't believe it yet, but I finally went into the church pitch black, and I found the little light, and I found the little box, and I went on my D's, and I gathered up all the courage I could and I said hello (laughs) I said hello are you in there are you upset that I'm talking to you are you upset that I want you to be in there from my Jewish background I couldn't imagine talking to God like that or being so near to him but the fact is that God came near to us and he waits for you he waits to love you 
He waits to forgive you. Don't stay away from him this Easter. We'll be right back. We stand at a crossroads in history. We can stand up for life, family, and a Christian culture, or we can stand idly by while the fabric of society becomes fundamentally anti-life, anti-family, and anti-Christian, slowly leading to its own demise. LifeSite News is the leading defender of life, family, and Christian culture. Through our news reporting, we seek to educate readers with information and zeal. They need to fight the most crucial battles of our day, and we need your help to continue that mission. You can support LifeSite News by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Another way to support LifeSite is to prayerfully consider becoming a sustained life monthly donor to help us continue to save lives in the culture. To donate, visit give.lifesitenews.com forward slash sustain life. Our staff of over 40 and millions of future generations, thank you for helping to save the culture. As a nonprofit lay organization financially independent from your diocese, our apostolate is listener supported. The Station of the Cross thanks our supporters who have enabled us to broadcast Catholic programs for more than 20 years. Through your generosity, we are able to inspire countless listeners with the gospel message and help lead them to a parish to be spiritually nourished by the sacraments. Thank you for your continued support and may God bless you and your family. Podcasts of our network-produced shows are free for your listening pleasure at thestationofthecross.com and on our free iCatholic Radio app for Android and Apple mobile devices. Be uplifted in your faith and inspired to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Listen today at thestationofthecross.com or on our iCatholic Radio mobile app. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. This is our half hour together, and my favorite part of the program. And you are welcome to call in with anything on your heart, toll free, one eight seven seven five one one five four eight three, or email at mother at the station of the cross dot com. Um, and this is the time I'm always reminded to tell you about the um, the Life Funder the. Um, uh, fundraiser that LifeSite News has so graciously set up for us. I just took a look during the break, and we are 45% to the goal of 200,000. We need 108,000 more in five days. Oy vey, oy vey. I looked at the last few people who have contributed um, over the weekend, and I, I can't. I read every one, I read every single note, and I pray for every single one of you. And I wish I could go there and read all your notes on the air. It's just your hearts are so incredibly, incredibly beautiful, and I, I just can't. I can't thank God enough for you. So God bless you. Um, we have put an offer on a house. Um, a big one, and it's over two hundred thousand. Um, but we're having an expect it inspected today, 
um, and if the inspection proves reasonable, then we'll we'll seek to go ahead with the purchase. So uh, it's exciting, and um, it's six thousand square feet, which is going to enable us to take in a number of more women um, until we begin on a monastery. So. Um, it's it's all very wonderful, and if you wish to be a part of it, uh, it's simply Life Funder, one word, L-I-F-E-F-U-N-D-E-R dot com forward slash, and the initials of our community, all, in all caps, D for Daughters, D-O-M-M-O-I-H, Daughters of Mary, Mother of Israel's Hope. So lifefunder.com forward slash D-O-M-M-O-I-H. And I, I just, I bless you. I thank you. Um, if our Lord wants us to have the 200,000 in five days, we will have it. And what God doesn't want, we don't want. And that's how we have functioned right from the beginning. This is the first time in all the years we've existed <clears throat> that we've ever let people know that we need money or the money we've, or, the, or raised any money. It's the first time ever and it's LifeSite News who is doing this for us um, and the Station of the Cross that makes it possible. So um, I'm, I'm just so, so, so thrilled. Okay, we're going to take your calls and your emails and your text. And we have an email from Catherine. <clears throat> Excuse me a moment. Catherine writes, good morning, Mother. My dilemma is in regards to a charity I have donated to for many years now. It's called World Vision. I'm familiar with World Vision. They're a, 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 basically a Protestant organization, and they, they've done very good work. Catherine says, I like it because they match you with a child in need, usually from a very poor nation, and I can write to this child and send her small things like colored pencils or bracelets and the like. Every month, my $50 goes to benefit this child and her community twice a year. For Christmas and Easter, I send more, $200, so they can make a large purchase, which is always spent responsibly on things like a secure door or a bed or blankets and bulk food. I like receiving pictures twice a year so I can watch her grow up. And best of all, the charity does a great job cultivating industry that suits the area best. Like farming or animal husbandry or even something more unique, this creates independence so they will not be reliant on charity forever. But, that's a big B-U-T, but, I just recently learned through a LifeSite news article and link that World Vision promotes contraception and maybe even reproductive rights. Now, I'll tell you, uh, that might be a shock to many, but it's not to me because they're not a Catholic organization. And Protestantism does not understand the full picture of being pro-life. They are against abortion for the most part, but it has nothing to do with contraception because they they believe that the scriptures say nothing about contraception, of course, which is wrong. In the Old Testament, um, Onan was killed for wasting his seed and for contracepting. So it's not true. God is the only author of life and we should not dispense with it. So, um, if it were a Catholic organization, 
it would be a greater shock, but they're not Catholic, they're Protestant. And I don't know a single Protestant organization that is against contraceptive and reproductive rights. Um, Catherine writes, I would immediately stop contributing if I wasn't so closely tied to this child who is only about seven years old. It is not the child's fault. Usually they will have me contribute until the child is 16 or 17 years old. Should I keep on or quit? Your advice is invaluable. Thank you, Catherine. Catherine, that is um, a very rough one. That is a rough situation. Um, If I were in your shoes, I would stop contributing because, number one, um, you don't know that every penny is used for the child you sponsor. I'm not saying they're dishonest, but that's how they raise funds. And um, $50 a month in poor countries is more than it's going to take to to feed a child. So I don't know. I mean, I think it's support for the entire organization is what I believe it is. And um, I, I don't know how you handle that, but I would, I personally would stop. I would write them a letter saying that I'm Catholic, and I realize you're not Catholic uh, as an organization. Um, and I've just learned that you support contraception and reproductive life rights, which my Catholic faith does not support or allow me to support. So I'm going to need to stop my support for this child. If she's seven years old, she's old enough to understand, I would write her a big letter, and I would explain to her what it is to be Catholic and what it is to respect God alone, who is the author of life, and that we cannot interfere with it at any point. And even though she's seven, you can say to her, contraception is a moral evil. It interferes with what God does to bring children into the world. That's all you need to say to her. And you can send her in that, send her a child's book, um, send her a book on first, for First Communion, um, send her a book on um, confirmation, send her what Catholic children need to understand and believe in order to take First Communion and to be confirmed. Or send her a book of Catholic prayers or something to help her understanding on Jesus and Mary and the Catholic Church and say, I, I cannot continue to support you because some of the money I'm sending you is going to support an evil that goes by the name of contraception. And, and, and we just cannot do that uh, before God. We cannot give money to that. And so... Um, will continue writing, uh, but I cannot continue contributing financial support. So um, just let her write you back and send you pictures still twice a year until that stops. But I wouldn't discontinue writing her. I would specifically write her and send her a little book on what it means to be Catholic, what it means to love our Lord and his blessed mother. I would do that. And hopefully they'll give it to her. And if they don't, you have no control over that. 
We have a text coming from someone who's writing anonymously and says, Dear Mother Miriam, thank you for all you do. Can you please provide some practical ways that deep, deep sinners can identify, weed out, repent, and correct sloth, especially people with high accomplishments, but a very difficult past. From your readings, I have identified that sloth is a trap, a sin. It's, a, it's a, one of the deadly sins, yes. And it leads to other capital sins, indeed. Would you mind specifically addressing how, including practical steps and examples of penance, and in any other ways, to begin the journey against sloth and actually overcome it? Um, you know, the first step, hold on, I'm going to see if I can get back to a website that I had, uh, that, w- that was very, um, that was, um, uh, excuse me, um, that was very helpful. But the first thing is to recognize sloth. Uh, not everybody believes, especially if they're talented and successful and all of that. Not everybody understands that they could have all of that and yet be slothful. So um, the first thing is to recognize. The second thing is to go to confession. Um, because not only are you forgiven, uh, you're not forgiven if you never do it again. You're forgiven if you confess it with a firm amendment to never do it again, and yet I, I would imagine someone like that doesn't trust themselves for doing not doing it again because these are patterns, long-lived patterns. But you can go honestly to confession and say, I'm, I'm disgusted, I want to get over it, I'm not sure how, but I do have a firm amendment to never do it again, Father, but I, I can't say that I won't because... I've lived this life of great accomplishments and yet great sloth at the same time. Um, And the priest will give you a penance that will be helpful to your reparation, making um, the reparation for your sloth. And so um, um, let me let me read this that uh, can help. Um, sloth is an old-fashioned sort of term that most people, aside from practicing Catholics, don't normally even use during conversation. People are more likely to research how to overcome procrastination than how to overcome sloth. But I learned recently, dear ones, that procrastination is sloth. It's just putting it off. It's sloth. There's physical sloth, there's spiritual sloth, and the article says here, however, sloth procrastination and laziness are essentially the same. Um, One definition of laziness is disinclined. Disinclined means unwilling, averse, reluctant, lacking, lacking strong motivation. A procrastinator is disinclined to do what must be done. And someone who is slothful is also reluctant to do what must be done. So you see, they are essentially the same, although there might be nuance, nuances. Um, and so here's a, 
uh, a subheading of the article that says, why look at sloth instead of procrastination? Well, without reading this article, I could probably answer that because I've accused myself of procrastination all my life and uh, bought books on procrastination. It sounds better than sloth. Um, According to uh, Father Reginald Garagou Lagrange, a Dominican priest, general sloth called begritia in Latin is a voluntary and culpable repugnance to work, to effort, and consequently a tendency to idleness or at least to negligence, to pulsolimity, pul- uh, which is opposed to general generosity and magnet- magnanimity. Well, okay. Um, there's the music for our break. I'm going to continue this when we come back, dear ones, because it is so widespread, and many people want uh, want the answer to this. I include myself. I'm busy all the time, and yet I include myself in being slothful. So we'll be right back. Don't go away. Call in with anything on your heart, toll-free, 1-877-511-5483, or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. The Station of the Cross appreciates the generosity of our supporters. We are committed to keeping our donors' accounts up to date. If there have been changes made to your payment information, please call us so that we can update your account. 1-877-888-6279, extension 104. Or update your information online at thestationofthecross.com. Thank you for your generous support of Catholic Radio. Beloved, this is Mother Miriam. Many of you are familiar with Mother Miriam Live, but I wonder if you have listened to some of the other programs from the Station of the Cross, such as The Catholic Current. Father Robert McTague discusses important topics in the church and in the world each weekday at 5 p.m. Eastern. You can listen anytime to The Catholic Current as a podcast on the iCatholic Radio mobile app. The future of the family is grim. As Our Lady of Fatima said, the final battle will be for the family. It truly seems as though we're in the heat of this final battle and we need your help. Our mission at LifeSite News is to educate and activate readers with the information they need to defend life and the family and restore Christian culture. We are currently the most popular pro-life website on the internet with over 40 million unique users every year. And we've been experiencing an even bigger reach than ever this year. But we need your help to reach more of the 7.7 billion people on earth if we are to truly succeed in changing the culture. Please consider donating to help our mission of promoting the culture of life and fearless defenders of the faith like Mother Miriam. Visit give.lifesite.news.com to give today. Thank you for your support. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome. 
Welcome back, dear ones, to Mother Miriam Live. We're right in the middle of answering a text from somebody who writes in anonymously on sloth. I'm going to reread the text and then uh, reread what I was, uh, what we were right in the middle of. This is sloth is uh, something that very few people confess, and yet it's one of the seven deadly sins. And this uh, writer says, Dear Mother Miriam, thank you for all you do. Can you please provide some practical ways that deep, deep sinners can identify, weed out, repent, and correct sloth? Excuse me. Especially people with high accomplishments, but a very difficult past. From your readings, I have identified that sloth is a trap, a sin, and it leads to other capital sins. Would you mind specifically addressing how, including practical steps and examples of penance, and any other ways to begin the journey against sloth and actually to overcome it? And I started by saying that sloth is one of the seven deadly sins, and very, very few people uh, identify and confess sloth. Many people talk about procrastination, but they don't realize that that is also sloth, spiritual or physical laziness. laziness. And so one, uh, we're we're on a website here, Um, that says, why look at sloth instead of procrastination? Um, And um, uh, let me just say, uh, I don't want to reread what I already have. Sloth is the spiritual sin, but it could be physical, uh, that is behind procrastination and laziness, and it is a sin we must avoid. We'll take a look at why we should avoid this sin as much as we can. And because we are both body and soul, we have to consider the spiritual aspect of our failings. Sloth is defined as an evil disposition of the will. I tell you, this is getting me through the heart too, because I've accused myself of sloth, uh, even though, regardless of accomplishments, because I know I procrastinate and I've confessed sloth, but this is making it worse than I've thought. Um, an evil disposition of the will, my gut goodness. Um, Father Reginald Garagou Lagrange, who wrote The Three Ages of the Interior Life, says, Sloth is not the languor or torpor in action which comes from poor health. It is an evil, oh my goodness, an evil disposition of the will and of the sensible appetites by which one fears and refuses effort, wishes to avoid all trouble, and seeks a dolce, um, farniente, uh, soft, uh, I, I can't uh, translate that, acedia or spiritual sloth. Um, uh, and he, it says, pigritia is normal sloth, but acedia is spiritual sloth. And again, from Father Garagou Lagrange, when idleness affects the accomplishment of the religious duties necessary to sanctification, it is called ascidia. It is an evil sadness opposed to spiritual joy, which is the fruit of generosity in the love of God. Ascidia is a disgust for spiritual things, a disgust which leads one to perform them negligently, to shorten them or to admit them under vain pretext 
it is the cause of tepidity. You know, um, this uh, anonymous uh, email uh, asked for um, the road to overcome sloth. And I haven't uh, gotten to that yet, except for me, the road to overcome it is to understand to begin with that it is a serious sin and that it is a disposition to evil. I'm, it's an evil disposition of the will. That's going to give me motivation to get out of it and get over it no matter what. Um, and it's interesting that sloth seems to be attached to sadness or melancholia. Have you ever gone to a friend's house and the house looked like a pigsty? Is, if this is the normal state of the friend's house, then there is a chance of depression. Before anyone chimes in with how unfortunate it is to connect sloth to depression, I can understand that too, here is my disclaimer. If you believe you are clinically depressed, please see a mental health professional. This sadness, eventually, the sadness of sloth, eventually leads to a disgust for the things of God. Case in point, you really want to pray the rosary, but you never get around to it. As each day goes by, without you praying the rosary, you eventually begin to get disgusted with the rosary itself. The disgust is actually a displacement for how you feel about yourself and the fact that you did not have the will to overcome the sloth. This sadness, writes Father Garagou Lagrange, this sadness which is radically opposed to that of contrition, it's not contrition, it's sadness. It depresses the soul and weighs it down because it does not react as it should. And then it reaches a voluntary disgust for spiritual things because they demand too much effort and too much self-discipline. Why we must overcome sloth. Sloth is a sin we must battle with our whole heart and soul. Believe it or not, sloth can lead to a variety of fortunate results. And now a quote from St. Gregory from the Three Ages of the Interior Life. From this evil sadness, says St. Gregory, are born malice and no longer only weakness, rancor towards one's neighbor, pusillanimity in the face of duty to be accomplished, discouragement, spiritual torpor, even to the forgetting of the precepts, and finally, dissipation of spirit and the seeking of the uh, the seeking after forbidden things. This seeking after unlawful things manifests itself by the externalization of life, by curiosity, loquacity, uneasiness, instability, and fruitless agitation. Thus a person arrives at spiritual blindness and the progressive weakening of the will. All from the Three Ages of the uh, uh, Internal, Interior Life by Garagou Lagrange. And here it is, Tips on Overcoming Sloth. Now, um, we're going to hear the music uh, soon, so I'm just going to read the headlines of those tips. Number one, dislike of the task itself. 
if you find yourself procrastinating on a project which involves many tasks, you are more likely to do the tasks you enjoy the most and keep on putting off the tasks you hate. That is exactly the wrong thing to do. You must do the hardest and most loathsome tasks first. Try giving yourself a reward for completing the task. Secondly, you feel overwhelmed. Thirdly, you are disorganized. Um, And then to overcome, I'm just going to read the headlines and we'll go back to this tomorrow. Bring it to your confessor. Mortification, mortification, mortification. And then finally, pray the morning offering every, every single day. Um, Structure your week around spiritual themes. Divide your day according to the hours. Um, It's a wonderful article, beloved, and we will uh, begin here tomorrow why we must, must, must overcome sloth. God bless you. And um, let me see. Yes, today is Tuesday of Passion Week, so we will be with you tomorrow. God bless you. And have hope. Hope in God. Never, ever, ever, ever lose hope. God bless you.